The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Thankful this morning for um, the freedom to be gone last uh, weekend. The original plan, if you were here at least, uh, um, and you're wondering who I am, I'm Bill McCutcheon, I'm the lead pastor uh, here, um, was to go to Atlanta with uh, one of my sons for uh, an event there, and uh, given that we're in the south, it snowed a little bit in Atlanta, and the whole city was shut down, and so we uh, turned around and came home, and I had the opportunity last week to go and to worship with our, our friends and brothers and sisters out at Low Country uh, Community Church, and was blessed by their ministry, the space within the kingdom that they uh, fill. Uh, within the diversity of the body of Christ is wonderful. One of the things I was struck by, and I want to highlight at least today, is uh, Jeff Cranston, the senior pastor there, uh, was saying how often he talks to people and they say, you know, my spiritual journey began by coming back to church on Christmas Eve or on Easter. And when I was there, I heard the gospel and God began to use it in my life. And I thought about that. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Yeah, wow. Ready. Are you ready? Well, that was enthusiastic. I'm sure some of you are going, oh, let's renew our prime membership. We got two day free. We got to get it here. How do we do this? Tanger outlets, hit them up. Uh, Let's get all this stuff done. But next Sunday, we are worshiping at 10 o'clock in the morning, just one service in the morning. And we'll combine our services and have what would be our regular worship time. And then in the afternoons at 4 o'clock and then at 6 o'clock, we're having our Christmas Eve services that both will have uh, communion. The first one's a little more family-oriented, but they will be coming together for that. And it's a great chance if you have friends who aren't churched or family who is in town, that they may be willing to come to church on Christmas Eve when they might not otherwise come to church. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that, that you'll invite your friends, that you'll step out uh, and try. You may get rejected, but that's okay. Uh, but to invite them here, and here is the promise that you have from us as a staff, that we will present to your friends the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that they can understand, and with great prayer that God would do a work in their lives and change them next week to begin their spiritual journey uh, on a road that leads them to salvation in Christ. So I hope that you'll come back. We still could use some volunteers uh, to help with the different things, so uh, you can uh, let us know uh, this week uh, if you can come and help. Is Jason Suddeth around this week? Is Jason here? Uh, well, Jason filled in and preached last week, and Lisa and I were blessed uh, to listen to his sermon one evening this week, and I was really excited. What I took from the sermon, if you were here, is that Jason has volunteered next year uh, to water the real trees that we're going to put in. <laughs> And uh, you can let Jason know that. He will be here every other day, and he will be watering the real trees, uh, as he made fun of in his sermon, our fake trees, as Lisa and I sat in front of our fake tree uh, in our house and kind of laughed uh, with that. Uh, But now I'm very thankful for Jason and for the word that he brought on hope and his inclusion of Psalm 77, which moved me in such a way and the Lord used it yesterday as I was back in Rock Hill at my previous church officiating the wedding of a dear or the wedding the funeral uh, of a dear friend and to be able to use Psalm 77 and the hope that we have 
that the pain of a circumstance, she was suffering for five years with bone cancer, that every time the doctors would say, hey, your body's clear, uh, nothing else is going on, uh, more tumors would pop up in different places, and she was totally ravaged by it, and eventually um, she went to, and this week to be with the Lord. And I thought through that psalm and was encouraged that so many of us relate to the first ten verses of that, that we're weary, that we're tired, that we're so tired that we can't lift our eyelids, that our hands, are, we're questioning whether God is still good, if His promises are still true. And we sit and we are in that pain, and the psalmist turns. And the psalmist, as it were, looks through the pain, doesn't look at the circumstance, but looks through the circumstance at the truth of God and the promises of God and the hope that he has within Christ. And he says, I'm going to make sure that that interprets my circumstance. I'm not going to allow my circumstance to interpret God for me. Too many of us allow the situation in which we find ourselves to interpret God. And it's just the opposite, actually. When you find yourself in a difficult place, when you find yourself uh, in wherever God has you now, it's to look not only at the circumstance, but through the circumstance, as it were, to see something beyond it, greater than it, that is immovable. Because, by the way, your circumstances will change, right? Bitcoin was really exciting earlier in the week, right? Didn't it drop like $3,000 yesterday? So, I mean, it's still better than its initial, but hey, the circumstance changes every moment. If you've been around here for a number of years, uh, 2008, did circumstances change around here in 2007, 8, 9, some of you? Any of you involved in the real estate market? Yeah, it changed dramatically uh, around here. Uh, last year in, uh, uh, with Hurricane Matthew, life changed on the island for many, many people. And so circumstances cannot They were never designed to dictate our hope. They were actually given as prisms by which we can see more clearly in what we do hope. We can see the circumstance exposes us, actually. Cancer exposes uh, our heart. Bankruptcy exposes our heart. Divorce exposes our heart. Uh, Parenting exposes our heart. Marriage exposes our heart. Singleness exposes our heart. All of these circumstances that are moving and nuancing, going to college, making A's, failing a test, whatever it is, all of those, they are circumstances by which we can look and go, how am I reacting How am I responding to these things? And my responses are incredible insights and portals into my soul. If I'm totally undone with anxiety, if I'm totally uh, undone with anger, if I'm totally undone with hopelessness, it exposes something about where I'm placing my hope, the sources of that hope. And this morning, as we continue our series on hope, We are shifting around, as it were. Uh, If hope, and the beauty of the hope of Christ that we have, is the diamond, is the precious jewel that is at the center of the table, uh, all we're doing every week is we're just moving around the table a little bit, and we're looking at it from a different angle, and allowing the light of God's Word to penetrate in and to refract a little differently, so we see the clarity a little differently, we see the beauty and the nuances a little differently. And so this week, we're looking in uh, the book of Hebrews, looking at some passages from chapter 6, 7, and 9, and we're going to see how the writer of Hebrews speaks of a better hope. 
He says this gospel message, this work of Christ, and what Christ has accomplished is actually a better hope than you've ever experienced in your life. And so we're going to go to God's word now, and we're going to allow God's word uh, to, to teach us, to guide us, that we are going to see that this better hope has been introduced in Christ. And then as Paul uh, wrote in Colossians 1.23, we are going to pray that our lives never shift from the hope of the gospel uh, that we have heard. So let's pray now and ask God's blessing on the reading, the hearing, and the study of his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask now that we would read it not with human eyes, but we would come and approach it with eyes and hearts opened by your spirit, that you would speak to us today, for your servants are eager to learn from you. This we pray in Christ's name and to his glory. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Hebrews uh, chapter 6, and we're going to look at, begin in verse 13 there, and then a couple of verses in 7 and a few verses in 9. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens for you. But hear now the word of the Lord. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled from, for refuge, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then down in chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. Though through which we draw near to God. And then over to chapters to Hebrews chapter 9, picking up in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, and not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, 
He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the the book itself and all the people, (coughs) saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. Thank you. (coughs) Excuse me. Hope. We've established, I hope, hope over the last couple of weeks, what hope is and what hope is not. We looked in the first week to differentiate Christian or biblical hope from what cultural or non-Christian hope is. Cultural hope is a wish. It's wishful thinking. I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope I win the lottery. I was driving by a gas station in Rock Hill and there were a number of people standing outside in the morning and they had their cup of coffee and they had their lottery tickets and they were scratching off. In the hope that maybe today was the day uh, they they would be able to get out of poverty, that they would be able to get out of the cycle uh, in which they found themselves. They were hoping, but it was a wish that we look around, and I used to uh, say uh, as a student, I was a decent student, but I wasn't a great student, and I would go in, excuse me, into my finals this way. Boy, I hope I get an A. No, I haven't studied, and I didn't really go to class all that much. And homework, I mean, who does homework? It's homework, I mean, come on. And I would hope. And somehow, I wouldn't get an A, oftentimes. Shockingly enough, because I was applying uh, to my academics what a cultural hope would be. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is an assurance. Biblical hope is a platform uh, by which and upon which we stand. Uh, It is a foundation And one of the things that we are working on over the course of these five weeks together in Advent is we want to expand and strengthen the foundation of your hope so that you're not standing on some little box teetering around, but that you recognize that it is a firm foundation in which you can move, in which it is solid, and it is an assurance for your life. Now, for some of you, that's new news to you. You've never understood this. But I want you to hear today very clearly that Christianity has within it a cord of assurance that there's no doubt that comes, that there is an assurance of what God has done. And through faith and belief in that, we gain that assurance, we gain that hope that is in Christ. Last week we heard Jason talking about that Christ is the source of that hope. And that we have to take and look and consider all the other sources of hope uh, that we have. And that we need to uh, do a good work against them. I'm sorry, guys. My throat is, I guess, standing at 30 degrees by a graveside yesterday. is getting me. Um, and so this week, we're going to spin, as I said, we're going to spin around just a little bit. And we're going to look not just at Christ as the person of Christ, but really looking more at the fullness of what Christ has accomplished, the work uh, of the gospel. And so with that, I want you to hear uh, from God's word these things. One, 
that our hope is secure, that our hope is a fastened hope, it is a secure hope. Uh, Chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, begin uh, and look at this beautiful imagery of an anchor. And it speaks here like this, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, might take strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as the forerunner. And so our hope is an anchor for our souls. That this hope that we have is an anchor for uh, our souls. Now, as you think of the word anchor, what comes to mind probably for you is that nautical picture of an anchor. And that's what's being uh, brought to mind here. And the nautical picture of an anchor actually has three dynamics that I think of when I think of an anchor. Uh, The one uh, is that an anchor goes down from your boat and it holds it in place against the currents and the tides uh, that are there. And so you find that your anchor keeps you from drifting. And in the Christian life, it's important to understand uh, that Christ, as our anchor, uh, that He is the plumb line that goes down and anchored to Him, that He keeps us from drifting and floating. Because drifting is subtle. Drifting is just a little drift today, and a little more tomorrow, and a little more over the course of time, till over a long period of time, what we used to know was wrong, now we seem to say is okay. Where we used to think that we were, we look up and we realize that we've moved quite a ways away in small, little, progressive movements. Christ says, I'm an anchor to your soul. I'm going to keep you in place against the current and the tide. And there's a strong current and tide, by the way, both in culture and within the church. Uh, Within the church, there is a current to move you away from Christ as the very Son of God. Uh, Christ as the true God, uh, as His Word, as the very Word. It's a subtle shift and that you're moving away from the current of today's modern religion and movement away from that leads ultimately to devastation. And we have a culture that says, you can't really believe that there's a Creator. What do you mean all things were created by a mere word spoken into nothingness? Don't you know that we uh, are just the... uh, We're the end result of primordial ooze and the cosmic algorithm coming together and the dignity that's brought to humanity by that. We would say, no, that's a subtle movement. That's a tide shift. That's a current move. And Christ says, I'm your anchor. An anchor also keeps you within a storm from being dashed against the rocks. The nautical anchor uh, would be put down in the midst of a storm uh, to keep you uh, from being dashed into a rock, to be thrown uh, against a reef. And so there's a sense in which an anchor is a security feature uh, that keeps you safe, uh, that it keeps you from totally being destroyed. And Christ is similar in that, both against the subtleties of life and within the storms of life. For when the storm comes, you need to make sure what you're anchored to. How many of you, it's a metaphor, but how many of you would say that you've experienced a storm in your life? And some of them are category fives. Others of them are not quite, but they feel like category fives. But whatever they are, they're storms. And you know what storms do? They blow us around. And they move us. And they're devastating And so it's important to know in the midst of the storm that we're anchored to the right thing. And that after the storm subsides and after the wind quits blowing and after the rain and all of that stops, that we recognize I'm still where I need to be. 
I'm not dashed against the rocks. My life isn't totally destroyed uh, by this. But here's a third picture of an anchor that I've introduced to you before, but want to reintroduce to you today. In the ancient Near East, in the Mediterranean Rim, uh, many of the harbors were with, and they were harbors, they're safe harbor, but you had to get to them, and getting to them was difficult. If you've ever sat out on the beach uh, and looked out towards Tybee and down towards Savannah, uh, you'll notice sometimes on the horizon uh, that there's a number of massive ships uh, that are out there on the horizon. Do you know why they sit out there? They're waiting on the harbor master to come and to guide them into the channel and then to guide them into the port in Savannah. Well, we don't have, they didn't have that much technology back in the ancient Near East. And so what they did have was the ability for a boat to be coming in And then another smaller vessel would come out with a rope and they would attach that rope to your boat and they would pull you in. They would take people back in the harbor to take you from danger and move you into safe harbor. So there was a drawing into safety, a place so that you wouldn't be buffeted by the storm. That the anchor one is you're out in the storm and you're buffeted and you're safe. This one is a picture of drawing in. And it says that Christ, our hope, is this kind of anchor. Now, folks, anchors are great things. But one of my dearest and best friends, a guy named Jeff, he and I laugh a lot about ourselves because we're similar. We, we are more or less fire-ready aim people. If you've ever been around folks like that, just think about that for a moment. That most of you are ready, aim, fire. I'm fire, then, oh yeah, let's figure out where this bullet's supposed to be going. Well, Jeff is relatively new to the aquatic or the nautical world, and he bought a boat, and he bought an anchor and a rope for the boat, and he was fishing not too long ago. He has a place down here, and we were laughing because he was telling me that he uh, took his new anchor, and he tied it to his rope, and he threw it out into the water, and as he was fishing, all of a sudden, uh, his found, he realized that as he was facing this way, he looked over, and his boat was heading uh, right up against the oyster rakes. And if you know anything about fiberglass boats, they don't like oyster rakes. And so his boat was drifting. And he looked at his anchor. He'd forgotten to tie the anchor to the boat. (laughs) And so he and I were laughing about this. And he goes, but Bill, I got a solution. I said, what's your solution? Thinking there's a really obvious one. And he goes, I'm going to take a buoy and tie this little buoy onto my rope. So if this happens again, I won't lose my rope and my anchor. I said, or you could just tie your rope to the boat. He goes, well, yes, there is that. Folks, it's similar in our lives. You've got to be tethered to something. You can't just say of Christ, oh, this sounds good. There's God, there's Jesus, it's all out there. But you're not tethering your life to it. And then the storm comes and you wonder, why am I getting tossed to and fro? Because you're not connected to Christ. You're not attached to Him. You have a concept and an idea of Him when what we need to do is attach ourselves to Him by faith through grace, coming and being made one with Him. And so we wonder sometimes why we're being tossed to and fro. Well, here's the thing. Your anchor isn't tied to Christ. It's tied to something, but most likely not Christ. For we have a secure hope, a hope that is an anchor to our souls, a hope that is secured upon the very promises of God. Verses 13 through 18 of chapter 6 talk about God making an oath 
And it's an interesting passage, and you were probably listening to it going, I don't really understand this, but here's what it is. If you've gone to court, or at least in the old days in America, and you would go to court, they would hand you a Bible. And what would you do with the Bible? You'd place your hand on the Bible, and what would you do? I swear by God that the testimony that I am about to give uh, is true. Or some of you who aren't religious would say, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on something greater than myself that what I'm, I'm making an oath by something greater than myself. Well, God realized that he needed to make an oath to humanity. And he said, there's nothing greater than me by which to make an oath. I swear by myself. And so our hope is secured within the very promises and nature and character of who God is. God said, I've made a promise to you. And I swear by myself that these promises will come to bear. That the big theological word is there's an immutability to God. He cannot be muted. He cannot be changed. All of these truths are there. And so we can look at God and go, my hope is secured in you. My hope is secured in your promises that you are with me and you'll never leave me. That you'll save me and you'll love me to the very end. That you'll come back for me. Uh, that all things are going to work together for my good and for your glory. That these things are done and I can trust in your promises. Because your promises are an extension of your character. Now folks, we live in a day and age that if you watch the news any given day this week, someone else, their character has been destroyed. They've shown themselves to be a predator They've shown themselves to be a molester. They've shown themselves to be a person without integrity, a person whose word means little or nothing. And so what happens in that is we recoil and we realize no one can be trusted. For some of you, you're sitting even this morning in the pain of words from a spouse who said they would never leave you, and yet you sit alone. Some of you sit this morning in the pain uh, of a childhood, of a parent who said, I'm here to protect you. And that parent preyed upon you and abused you and hurt you. And so you have trouble trusting. God is presenting to you himself to say, you can trust me. I'm not like anything else that you've ever experienced. You can trust me. And your hope is secured into who I am, into my very nature, into my heart. Sitting at the funeral yesterday and considering Vivian Good, a beautiful southern lady from Walterboro, the epitome of what you would want in a southern lady. She loved the Lord and it was more than just a southern religion of showing up on Sunday morning. She loved the Lord and had a deep and a profound hope that in the midst of the pain of cancer, in the midst of the pain of suffering, in the midst of the knowledge that she was going to be away from the man who she'd known since her time as a teenager, and now in their 70s of being together their whole lives, of not being able to see uh, all of her grandchildren grow and graduate, to not be there, she recognized with great honor and dignity and strength and confidence that I have a hope through the middle of this. That I'm going to see him again. That death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where is your power? The sting of, of the law is death. But Christ has overcome death. And I'm going to see them again. And through her ability to have a hope that was beyond this, a hope that was in the very promises of God, she was able to live an incredible, courageous life. A life of great dignity and of bravery. She mourned, she wept, she hurt, 
But there was something because she attached her hope to something greater than herself. A hope that was beyond the circumstance. A hope that was secured within the promises of God. And so we have this hope that is is an anchor to our soul. Secured to the very promises of God. And that this hope is secured within that promise to the promised one. To Christ himself. And Jason did a great job of of unpacking that uh, last week. But I want to pick up the imagery here. That we have a hope that is secured to Christ our high priest. And it says that the high priest in the Old Testament. And just give you a little quick uh, history lesson. Uh, that in Judaism in the Old Testament, uh, before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, uh, the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies. And he was presenting a sacrifice not only for himself, but also for all of God's people. And he would have around him a sash and a rope that was extended out of the Holy of Holies. And you've probably heard what that was about. It was because now uh, this unrighteous person, this non-perfect individual, was stepping into the presence of the perfection of God and was going to be there and was going to be standing before God. And there was the possibility and likelihood that the holiness of God would overwhelm the unholiness of the individual and they would be dead in the presence of God. Well, you couldn't leave the body in there, so they would pull the body out. There's some imagery for you. Hey, Bill, you've been promoted to high priest. I'm good. We just want to fit you for the rope. I got, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'll be an assistant. I'll be an associate. You go on and be the senior. I'm not doing that. No, because it was overwhelming. But we have a different high priest. But keep the imagery. We have a high priest who enters in, not by the blood of goats and of rams and of heifers sprinkled upon us, but upon his own blood, upon his own life, presented to God, appeasing and ransoming us from the wrath of God, drinking fully the wrath of God in the cup and the bowl there, and so that his sacrifice was acceptable to God, and though he was crushed in the presence of a holy God, he was resurrected in the presence of holy God, and now stands in the presence of holy God, and at the crucifixion, guess what happened to the veil that separated? us from the Holy of Holies. Do you remember? It was ripped from the top down. And it was ripped from the top down because now we have access through Christ into the very presence of God. And that rope that's around Him isn't for us to pull Him out. It's for Him to pull us in. That we are drawn into the very presence of God through the promises of God and are truly of the promised One. Who says, folks, you can be assured now that you can stand before God with great assurance of your life because of the completed work of your true high priest who was there. Isn't that awesome news? So don't be afraid of ropes. Hold on. I mean, really hold on. Because at the other end, hopefully for you is Christ. Who says, I will never, ever let go. I will never lose you. I've got you in this. So our hope is secure. I hope you see that. It is a secure hope. So what do we gain through this hope? That's the last part that I want to talk about. So through Christ, through this hope, what do we gain? Well, I've already talked about a couple things, but I'm just going to make them specific for you. We gain reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sins, and transformation of our lives. Reconciliation with God. Verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 19. We have this sure 
uh, and steadfast anchor of our soul. He enters in. He's the forerunner. So what we have, we've been reconciled to God. We're Luke 15, the younger brother, is brought back into right relationship with God through Christ, the true elder brother. And it's the same way for us. We are brought back into relationship with God through Christ. We're reconciled with him. We have access to him. Isn't that incredible that we have access to him? Some of you who may come from an, uh, an Eastern Orthodox or a Catholic background, how do you have access to God? Through the priest, through the sacraments. Here's the beauty of what the scriptures actually say. No, there is one mediator between God and man. There is one way to get there, and it's through the man Jesus Christ. So through Christ, you have today access to God the Father. Isn't that awesome? I tried to get a few Hilton Honors points back from my canceled uh, uh, hotel room last Saturday night. I spoke to three different people in three different countries around the world. And I said, can I please have access to a manager? Well, no, sir, we can't do that. Oh, my gosh! I can't even get access to a manager in Hilton. But God's saying, guess what, Bill? You've got access to me through Christ. That's a little better, so quit worrying and sweating the few points that you lost. Oh, that's probably pretty good news. But do you see, we have access to God in this. We have reconciliation with God. We have forgiveness of our sins. And it says that indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Chapter 9, verse 22. So what we gain, our hope secured to Christ through his promises that is the anchor for our soul. We know this. We don't only have reconciliation and access to God. We have forgiveness of our sins. Any of you ever done anything in your life that you regret? Have you ever asked forgiveness more than once for the same thing? You don't have to. Because through Christ, you have forgiveness. Once for all. Lord, forgive me for this. And our consciences are cleaned. Our guilt is placated. We are free from that. Now, Satan's going to tell you, no, 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 you keep doing it. Now, come on. A little bit more work. You've got to add to the cross. You've got to feel really, really bad. And your prayers add reallys and reallys and reallys. And God, I'm really this. And then you're going to make some commitments. Oh God, I promise I won't do this. And I promise I'll do this. And then maybe my conscience will be clear. Then maybe I'll have forgiveness of sins. And Christ is saying, no, no, no. I went into the Holy of Holies. I was crushed. I was sacrificed. My blood was shed. And you are covered by my blood. Sprinkled upon you. You've been baptized by my blood is the language that they use here. And so we know that we have forgiveness of sin. No amount of good works or obedience to some moral code will ever be able to make us right and good. But Christ's perfect work did. And the last thing that we have are transformed lives. That we have reconciliation and access to God. We have forgiveness of our sins and our lives are transformed. They're different. We face the world differently. Because of the hope that we have. I hope that's true for you. That is my greatest desire for you. Is your life different because of Christ? It should be. If our hope is in Him and everything starts to go around and different, there should be something noticeably different about us though. Not perfect, but noticeably different about how we respond to the world around us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be really looking at what that transformed life, the, the fruits uh, of hope within the life of the believer, what those look like. A joy, a confidence, a security, a humility that come. So as we wrap up, I just want to ask you a simple question. 
Where's your life anchored? To what is your life anchored? To your portfolio? To your good looks? To your family? To your education? To your pedigree? To all these things? Where are you anchoring your hope? And you need to do this work, folks. Because I'm coming off of the heels of a funeral. And funerals always have the effect of making you think about your mortality. Death is, is batting a thousand so far. You're going to face it. And when we face it, we have to ask, where is our hope? And my prayer for you is that your hope would be in Christ. And the question that I have for you today, are you willing to untether yourself from whatever else it is uh, that you are seeking security and whatever else it is you're seeking affirmation and whatever else it is you are seeking all of these things, uh, application of the guilt of your soul, whatever it is, are you willing to untether yourself from that and tether your life to Christ? To give it to Him and to say, I am putting my full hope in you today. And God, I want you to transform my life. I want you to give me these things. And the promise is this, friends, He will. But the question really does now fall on you. Are you willing to untether your life from everything else and tether it to the anchor, the true anchor of your soul that enters in even to eternity itself? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that is given to us, the assurance that we have uh, in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray this week for all of us that we and the, the deep things of our lives at some level would be exposed where we're placing our hope, they'd be exposed. And then we would be able to ask them, are you keeping your end of the bargain? Do we have peace within these relationships? Do we have uh, life? Uh, Do we have true forgiveness? Do we have it? And if the answer from these places of hope is no, then I pray that we would deconstruct them and in their place that we would run to Christ, that we would find him as the hope and the anchor of our souls. For the storms are great and we need a great anchor. We need it to secure to something that is not temporal and is not moved by circumstance. We need it anchored even into eternity itself. And we see him there standing next to you, Father. And we pray that as he's holding that rope, we know that we're on the other end. And we'll never be lost. And we'll never be fall. we will never fall away. So, Father, with this good news, I pray that we would tell others about it. In Christ's name, amen.